Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. So welcome everybody. We are here today with someone that I've known in a martial arts context for a really long time now. I think it goes back about six or seven years and we've worked on a bunch of projects together from books to uh, karate teaching and she's helped me personally with my development through the martial arts. So I'm really glad to have Miss Allie Hayes with us today. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so some people listening might know Miss Hayes and might have been familiar with some things that we've written about Miss Hayes on the website and in the blog over the years. But as an introduction, can you just say how you got started in the martial arts, what brought you, what your experience is? Yeah, totally. So I guess my martial arts experience begins actually a really, really long time ago. I think I was three or four years old and I used to live um, in the Midwest. And so I was bouncing around a different karate and Taekwondo schools back in Illinois. And I was so little, so I didn't really have a big commitment to anything, but it always stuck with me. Um, I, I grew up watching a lot of Power Rangers um, and Avatar The Last Airbender. And so those things really uh, drew me into martial arts. And then when I was older, I was eight years old, we moved to Colorado and started again, I guess, my Taekwondo journey um, when I was about 14, 13, 14. I don't remember exactly through high school, through college, and now I'm here. <laughs> so as a kid, your inspiration to do martial arts sounds like it came from superheroes or something, like cartoons and anime. And did you think you would become kind of a superhero if you were studying martial arts? Maybe not as grand as to say as a superhero. Um, I think that word wouldn't necessarily fit me. <laughs> Maybe like a, a more modern day one um i guess i i'm not super big on being big and grand with what i do but i am my philosophy is definitely quality over quantity um and so even if i can make the smallest or the biggest impact to the smallest community or even if it's just one person um if i'm a superhero in their eyes then i guess okay i'm a superhero but yeah i don't know superheroes are massive and I'm very not massive. <laughs> I, I don't know if everyone listening who knows you would necessarily agree with that, but that's very modest. And I, I think it characterizes you when it, so when we met, you were about 13 or 14. And what struck me immediately is in how you conducted yourself and what you were interested in was maturity, which is rare. And I'm, I think the way you just answered that question, it's still carrying on in that tradition of Miss Hayes' maturity. And it, it really comes across and has a big impact on people who are your peers, who are younger and who are older. And can you talk about some of the development in those years, those when you were 13, 14, 15, 16, going through high school and studying martial arts, what were some of the ups and downs of, of that for you? Well, I, I will say martial arts was definitely keeping me on like the up part. Going through high school, especially, I mean, no, everyone is lying if they said high school was maybe their favorite time of their life. I dealt with 
a lot of bullying actually pretty much all of my school years from elementary school all the way up through high school. Martial arts helped me stand up mainly for myself to myself um, because I had a lot of notions about I have to be, you know, this perfect student. I have a have to be the perfect friend, perfect daughter, perfect partner. Through my martial arts journey, um, it really helped me learn how to balance things um, and take time for myself and realize that standing up for myself is not selfish. It's a part of discipline that is probably the hardest because standing up to your own self can be really difficult to face some truths about yourself that you need to fix or you need to you just need to confront and kind of open them up um and so being in high school i definitely didn't understand what i just said like i that was something that i i didn't really discover until the last couple years really in college yeah martial arts helped me to balance myself balance what I did in school, in my personal life. I definitely didn't start out as a outgoing or loud person. I was extremely quiet. And I mean, I still am actually pretty quiet, but there's a t- I, I've learned the time and place to channel that energy in order to be outgoing or energetic. Um, and so I'm actually really happy for that because nobody likes being boring. I don't know, maybe that's just me though. <laughs> It's interesting that you talk about that balance because in martial arts, there is the balance of training and trying to become your best in overcoming failures and then raising your opinion of yourself essentially through developing uh, your mind and and body and spirit. But then you are tested and graded and in a tournament setting, it's you know, there, there's win or lose uh, situations. And so it does test you on that front too. And there's that objective kind of, is, is that part of what went into helping you have a better opinion of yourself or what, what exactly do you think martial arts helped you with? I liked how you brought up tournaments because that's actually probably the most influential aspect of my martial arts journey. Tournaments, first, I guess I want to say a lot of people get into tournaments in the competition scene to beat other people. And if that's their drive, that's awesome. It's not mine. For me, it's like I kind of said earlier, it's like me beating my past self. Like I'm really going up against my tournament scores from two months ago, six months ago, a year ago. So tournament seasons usually typically last like five, six months, depending on the year. Um, and so kind of having those milestones, those tournaments every month or so um, really help kind of track your progress. I am very, very intrinsically motivated. If I don't have the motivation to do something, then it's really hard for somebody else to kind of fuel me with their energy. It doesn't work very well. So tournaments are something that I have wavered, of course, with motivation, like everything. But for the most part, I've always been fueled to improve myself with martial arts and outside of martial arts. And I don't think I, I probably wouldn't have learned that from anywhere else, except going to a lot of tournaments, um, over and over and over again, learning how to compare yourself to only yourself and not other people is definitely another really big lesson that I've learned as well from that. That's cool. Professional martial artists. I hear them talk all the time about being on the tournament circuit and 
compete, whether they're part of a professional team or they're individual competitors and competing with that intrinsic motivation, really striving to do better, to learn something new, to do something even cooler than they had ever done before. To put this into some context for anybody listening, Ripple Effect Martial Arts generally hosts two intramural tournament competitions a year. But there is then the CKA tournaments at the Colorado Karate Association. And can you talk about your experience at the CKA tournaments? Of course. CKA is very different, but to me, it's different in the best ways. It it is definitely the next step that someone who wants to compete should take after competing in one or two intramural tournaments. Intramurals are also amazing because it really eases students into the tournament scene. But for those who are looking to kind of take their, not only their competition skills to the next level, but just their overall mindset, attitude, martial arts skills, um, their technique um, to the next level, CKA, which is that statewide tournament, is a really great option. With Within CKA, I will say it was definitely literally a punch in the face, my very first tournament. <laughs> um, I was 15 when I first entered. And very soon after that, I actually had to stop competing in this division. It was the uh, sparring division because of an ankle injury. But those competitors are not there to mess around. They're there to get better. They're there to show off what they've worked on so hard. And I really, really admire that, especially in the the women's divisions. I've been seeing a lot of talk about female competitors needing to be humbled or not just female competitors, but um, I see it primarily with female competitors about them needing to be humbled after they just won, won gold. And I'm like, they just won gold in the Olympics. They have must, they must have worked so hard for that. And I think You know, humility is a really, really important thing, um, not only in martial arts, but throughout your entire life. But I definitely think there's a time and place for you to kind of have a right to celebrate and and be loud about your victory because, oh, my goodness, Olympics, gold, first place, even if it's in a small statewide tournament only in Colorado, USA, like that someone must have been working really, really hard for that. Being in those competition scenes kind of helped me realize it's not selfish that I'm celebrating a giant victory of winning first place or even winning third place because you don't know people's journeys. Maybe third place, it was their goal. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it taught me. One of the lessons, I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. We talk about that a lot and how martial arts can help. A lot of times, I think the stereotype is a person is kind of out of control, a kid, you know, well, we'll get them into martial arts because they've learned that discipline, learn how to stand still, learn how to focus. And that is true. But for people, I'm in this category too, (laughs) where I'm a little more inhibited and (laughs) it forces you, encourages you to come out of your shell, to become louder, to have a voice, to get recognition and be proud of it. And those are incredibly important skills to learn for a young person or for as you develop through your entire life and yeah it's awesome that you value that it's a process because i know like with myself sometimes 
I will humble myself because I want to feel like I'm not quote unquote too much for a group of people or something or someone, you know, there's all that news coming out with the Olympics and specific athletes and they're self-advocating. I mean, just to give an example, this one isn't necessarily specific to gender, but Simone Biles, you know, she is amazing. Naomi Osaka, I don't know if she's in the, I think she's in the Olympics, but she's a tennis player who I think a couple weeks back, I might not get the details of this completely correct, but she withdrew from a press conference and got a lot of lashback because she wanted to focus on her mental health. And that was a similar thing for Simone Biles. Those women are really big inspirations to me. Um, and it also shows that self-advocacy is really important, even in the face of criticism. And that's another thing where I think linking back to, I was talking about discipline and kind of conquering yourself. Sometimes I don't want to advocate for myself because I feel like I'm being whiny or I'm being too, too much, but it's something that you can't change how other people react to you, but you can change how you react to yourself. And so if I know my truth and I know that I'm doing what's right for me and what's healthy for me, then that's, and at the end of the day, that's all that is important. And advocating for mental health is a really, really big, important topic. It's really near and dear to my heart. So, um, and I know it is to so many other people, especially with in our little circle here. So yeah, it's a heavy topic, but it's important. And honestly, I used to, again, shy away from talking about these really big, heavy topics. But when these topics influence people to the point that they want to like, make themselves smaller, that's when I feel hurt, honestly, um, even when it's not me. Um, I'm, I used to always feel like I wasn't very empathetic until certain, I, I mean, I guess I grew up <laughs> um, and realized that, oh man, I'm not alone. So many other people experience the same thing. And so advocacy is another really big piece that martial arts did help me with. I like to continue that lesson on because I, I don't think it's a lesson you learn once and it's done. I have to relearn it like from time to time. And those times are very often. <laughs> so I remember being there uh, at the black belt test, I think in 2017 or that that seems right to me. But um, you, I believe, were earning your second degree black belt. And it took a lot of courage for you in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. There were spectators, there were grandmasters, there were all of the black belt testers and you, you had to bow out. At, oh uh, yeah. That was sense. my first degree test. I medically was not sound enough to continue on the test and that Oof, that, yeah, I actually really like that you brought that up because that's something that I've kind of been avoiding um, for a really long time. Like it's been three, four years, four-ish, anyway, um, it's been a while. Yeah, um, that's actually something that just like recently I've kind of become comfortable with because it's, that was really hard for me. <laughs> but that was something that really pushed me in the direction of learning, this is what's right for me. And people who care for me and people whose 
feelings and thoughts and opinions I care about, I know will understand my decision. Because I mean, honestly, it wasn't really my decision. Medical right. staff around me was like, you need to leave. And yeah. it's a, kind of a, a misconception, I think, in the martial arts generally, whether it comes from movies or just sort of a um, kind of machismo legendary or something like that, that or the karate kid or something like Cobra mm -hmm. Kai, you work through any injury, you you yeah. don't give up or something. But it, it's not that way. Did, did you feel supported or encouraged in or or more judged? Or how did you feel when you had to make that decision? I, I can't really quite remember actually what happened <laughs> during that weekend um, because of several factors. I I would I will say the people closest to me did support me. I think at the time I didn't support myself with that. And another thing you mentioned kind of persevering through injuries and, and stuff being hard. And I am a really big advocate of perseverance, but I've, I don't know if anyone else has coined this term. So I'm just going to say toxic perseverance is a thing. I definitely fell victim to my own toxic perseverance. There is a time when it is stupid and not smart to carry on um, with a certain something, anything. And that's why I'm a really big advocate for building healthy habits and building a healthy mindset really above all else. Because once you've mastered that, or not even mastered, because who? when do we actually really ever master anything in our lives? At least for me, I feel like I constantly... <laughs> I'm a lifelong learner. So that's something that I had a hard time coming to terms with saying, all right, it's time for me to, to bow out, like literally take some time for myself. What I think speaks to your perseverance is that this was four years ago and you have gone yeah, on right? through several degrees of, of black belt. You're an instructor, you're the leader of a, a competitive team. You've been a student of mental health and neurology for mm -hmm. some time. Have you graduated college? Yeah, I graduated in May, Congrats. actually. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, can you tell listeners about how that coincides with martial arts training or what you've learned? Yeah, I'll keep talking about mental health since we've been talking about that. I see this disconnect between mind and body or brain and body. Um, so many people believe that they are separate things. Um, and to some people, I'm probably speaking like a different language when I say this, but like on every single level, your brain and your body are connected. And it's something that Obviously, I mean, I've, I've spent thousands of hours like studying for tests and everything. So not only do I know like the actual like science behind neuroscience, but it's awesome to see it in day to day life, too, because your brain obviously never leaves. <laughs> um, you are constantly under its control. You're also constantly in its presence. Can you say something about what is going on neuroscientifically when, let's say, a 10 year old kid? is standing at attention at a test and is about to be tested on their knowledge of forms, you know, or for you, if you can look back and, and re reflect on that 
those those kinds of feelings, the the nerves, or obviously I don't know the science, so I need your help elucidating this. But All good. <laughs> I think that everybody, including me, when you enter into a martial arts school or a testing environment or the beginning of prep cycle or something, the nerves are enormous or at a tournament before you're about to spar or compete. Mm-hmm. The nerves are enormous and there's something going on there between mind and body and what's happening and how, if you can speak to this, how, how does martial arts help you deal with it in a positive way? I guess um, the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, you're exercising when you're testing, when you're practicing. I mean, all of this anxiety, there's a lot of stress hormones. There's a lot of chemicals, neurotransmitters that your brain's releasing when you are nervous or anxious or scared. And they can be your friend short term, but they can also be your enemy long term. One way that martial arts helps with that is exercise helps with stress to a degree. Um, I mean, again, not everybody is a cookie cutter, so everybody's bodies and brains are different, but channeling that like nervous feeling that you have into a physical form, like tournaments again, I'm just going to talk about that, that judges like that very first thing that you, you yell out. I will, I will not say that it completely relieves your anxiety, right? But um, it helps. And I think just like getting into it. But then again, that, that's really just coming from me. So I, I guess the most important thing is the, the, the duration. So long-term versus short-term when it comes to stress. Because everybody says this example of you're being chased by a tiger or, you know, like old school caveman days. And you're being chased by a tiger, your parasympathetic nerve, or excuse me, your sympathetic nervous system is on fire and it's taking over and it's making your heart beat faster. Your blood is circulating um, better. And that short-term burst of energy really, really helps. But if you keep that and you let it stick around, for example, I used to get really, really nervous before my tests, before black belt tests, so much so that I would get sick. So that's like that long-term, like, stress is your enemy thing because I would stress out about a test like a week in advance so much so that I would wake up with a cough and sniffles and I'd feel horrible going into my test. I think the one time that I did not get a hundred percent on my test was when I was so sick. I think I was testing for my brown belt and my stances were awful because I just physically could not produce the energy to do a proper stance in my forms. It was either do the form or like have poor stances. And so I remember I got a point off on every form because my stances were awful. And I was like, I have been stressing out so much. I'm sick, all that stuff, you know? And I remember, I don't remember who was rating me, but they were like, you need to chill out. (laughs) So yeah, short-term versus long-term, that short-term stress, like if you're at a tournament, you're bowing in for testing, really awesome to amp up your energy, get your blood flowing, but long-term it's going to bring you down more than it's going to bring you up. Do you feel like the karate instructors or do you as a karate instructor help encourage uh, people to relax and, and chill out? Like you said, I think more so now than ever, honestly, I I've been seeing this shift and it's not just with us, but it's with a lot of people focusing on that mental health, especially with the pandemic going on still. And I know, that lesson I learned at my very first 
or at not my very first, but that black belt test when I did have to be, I had to bow out really taught me that if I keep encouraging my students to push past their limits, nothing is going to come out except, you know, stress and sickness. I always knew that, but having that happen to yourself really does open up your eyes and you're like, man, I should be a little more compassionate (laughs) and make sure that I'm teaching my students and maybe not just my students, but those, those around me who I influence to take care of themselves, build healthy habits, build rest days into their routines. Like when I taught prep cycle, my biggest thing was, I do not want you to do your, your routine every single day. You're going to burn out. I want you to go push past black belt, black belt, first degree, get to second degree, third degree, and make sure that you're building healthy practice habits and healthy resting habits. So you don't burn out. <laughs> the the idea behind testing your limits is you find out maybe you can do 10. The classic example is I can't do one push-up. So mm-hmm. you work on it and you get to that one push-up level. Now you're working for five. Now you're working for 10. Are you going to work to a thousand? Maybe not, but you've tested your limits and therefore the limit disappears as, as you kind of improve. And I think that Everyone in martial arts has their own struggle. For, for you, it was stress and, and stances and uh, things. For some people, it's memorization. For a lot of people, it's focus, I think. And can you talk about being an instructor and being on that other end of the, the table and testing other students and what you maybe see out on the floor and how you help people with their struggles there? Of course. I want to go back to, I was talking earlier about balance is not only building in those rest days or rest periods, I should say, um, but also making sure that you are appropriately challenging yourself. Um, Actually, I was teaching a red belt class not too long ago, and we did that classic drill. If somebody touches their foot to the ground during our holdout wall sidekicks, then we're going to start over from 10. I probably was counting down from 10 for about two minutes. It's something that when it comes to sidekicks, Um, was the example that I've used a lot um, when I'm actively teaching in class. And I tell them the story of when I was going through my prep cycle, testing for my black belt, I had to hold it out for five minutes above my hip. For me, they made it shoulder level because I have the flexibility to get it up there. And holding out your leg for five minutes shoulder level is really tough. And I kind of tell the students that, you know, this is what you might have to do. Like you're going to have to do these really big feats in order to get your black belt in order to make your black belt meaningful and worth something. And they kind of look at me and they look so defeated. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not the message I was trying to give. Like you need to do this or else you fail. It's more so you have nearly two more years to get there. What has to happen is those balanced increments of rest, challenge, rest, challenge, or rest. I'm going to stay at holding my leg up for 10 seconds because I challenged myself every day this week. And today is going to be, I'm still going to work, but I'm not going to push myself. It's finding those appropriate times to push past your limits. But if you're constantly pushing past your limits and you're feeling burnt out, you don't feel energized, then maybe it's time to take a step back. Um, And so that's kind of what I tell my students with black belts I see. And I went through this too. And I think everybody 
did at one point is once you hit black belt, you're like, oh man, I just got my first degree black belt. I feel like I'm on top of the world. And then you realize there is a whole other mountain range right in front of you. That's when I'm kind of like, okay, well you did just work your butt off for like a year in prep cycle. So you do, you definitely do deserve like a week off to, to chill out, but then it's like, all right, let's get back to building those healthy habits. How did you get interested in the fan as a weapon? Ah, yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. In Avatar The Last Airbender, there's in that universe, there's this uh, group of warriors called the Kiyoshi Warriors and their main weapon. um, Well, they have a couple, but their main weapon is the fighting fan. They also have like uh, different types of Japanese swords, shields, and they do a lot of hand to hand combat. But in uh, that universe, you either are able to like bend elements or not. Um, And so a lot of these people are non-benders and they pick up the fan and do really cool stuff with it. So <laughs> you look very serious, like traditional in your presentation and in that form. Is there a name for that form or how did you learn that? Oh, well, I created that form. The traditional fan forms, there's with with wushu, which is the style of martial arts, the fan the my style of fan comes from. That style is so old that the traditional kind of forms have kind of died out or have just there's so many variations of them that like they kind of just don't really exist anymore i've been just taking bits and pieces of different forms like i know there's a open hand wushu form that i took a little bit of that and i just added the fan in there and um so yeah that one doesn't have i guess yeah that one that i did with my golden fan is it doesn't have a name the one that i did for my third degree test in may I would say that's like my very first like official fan form that I made. And I taught a portion of that at the summer camp, my first day on that Monday. Um, And I think the kids really liked it because they were having a blast. So that was really fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So you started your own fan form uh, tradition. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) That's really cool. Can we finish up by talking about going way back to some of the art that I I remember walking down the hall of the Fort Collins school and seeing this probably pencil drawing or charcoal drawing. I can't remember, but it was of two people sparring. I thought, who did that? It was watercolor pencil. Was it? Yeah. (laughs) That was awesome. Master me said, that's Allie Hayes. She, she did that. And I thought, wow. And we went on to do a few collaborative works that people can can check out for for free if you if you want to on our youtube channel but that is miss hayes artwork and how did you get into art or why did you how are you inspired to represent martial arts in art um art has always kind of trailed beside me my entire life and i've kind of wavered um the last couple years with college it's been so tough to you know maintain your hobbies for fun when you're (laughs) what it feels like drowning in coursework sometimes so um drawing is is something that i've never really done full time but it's something that i do love returning to i really like to draw really whatever i'm interested in when i drew that specific one i think I, i drew that in art class actually with 
watercolor pencil and I'd never picked up watercolor pencils before. I thought they were cool because I wasn't a huge fan of watercolor, like the paint. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan of colored pencils. So I was like, okay, well, what if we just find a thing that merges the two together where I can draw something with the pencil and then go over it with a paintbrush with water and it kind of transforms into a drawing painting looking thing. Martial arts, I would say, is probably heavily influences most of my drawings. Um, Avatar, The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, I draw a lot of that. I draw a lot of creatures and, and characters from different anime that I've watched, books I've read, X-Men. I love X-Men, the comics, so I've drawn a lot of fan art of Dark Phoenix. She's my favorite, so that's really cool. Also, Neuroanatomy, actually. For Neuroanatomy, there's coloring books that you can buy, but I was like, eh, why spend $30 on a coloring book when I can just draw it myself? And it actually really, really helps me study. I would also draw sequences of forms, which I'm actually working on right now with uh, Mrs. April Franks and uh, Mr. Olmsted, going through all the forms and redrawing every single technique. For anyone, young person or the parent of a young person considering getting into karate or what it means to earn a black belt, is there anything that you can say about your experience or, or what might be meaningful for them in doing that? Patience. It's a journey and it's a it's a long journey. I mean, there are caveats, like if you don't do it right, you will have to take longer. But in the end, especially here, all of your instructors are rooting for you. They're always there to support you. And they're always there to answer any question about anything. And I think that's the biggest thing that anybody could, could know. Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find episodes and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.